Welcome to the Area First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're on the second of our three-week study on the end times. Last week, Pastor Nicole was joined by Pastor Quint Lindblad, and they discussed the signs of the end times, what we will see happening in the world as we reach the end of this age. Today, Pastor Nicole and Pastor Quint are going to be looking at an event called the Great Tribulation. What is it? What are some competing theories about it? And ultimately, what should we as believers be doing as it approaches? It's a great discussion, and we think you'll get a lot out of it. So let's turn it over to them today. Here's Pastor Nicole and Pastor Quint. My name is Pastor Quint. This is Pastor Nicole, and we are uh, in the middle of our 30-minute theology series. So we are continuing our conversation that we started last week on the end times. So this is a very, very big topic, uh, and we're going to do our best to cover everything that we can, but we know even in three weeks, we're going to leave a lot on the table, a lot of things that need uh, addressed. So if you have questions or if you have things you would like specifically answered that we might not be getting to, I want to encourage you to text the word end times, all one word, to 97,000. You'll then be on our list. We'll reply, and you can submit a question back to that number, and we will uh, do our best. We're going to record a podcast actually next week at the end of all this, trying to cover any of those odds and ends that we might have left. Uh, So go ahead and submit those. The other thing, uh, you can get this on your way out, but we created a resource list with different books and scriptures and things that you can study. So our heart is that you would just, uh, really that this would pique your curiosity, get you interested, and then you can dig in uh, deeper for yourself, ask different questions, find some resources. Um, And so that's really what we're doing. Today, we are going to dive deeper into a specific Uh, part of the end times, and that is this thing that you may have heard of called the Great Tribulation. In fact, when you receive your bulletin on the way in, you might think Pastor Nicole and I are having a fight because it looks like a UFC fight card, and it says the Great Tribulation. This side of the room thinks I would win. Everything's fine. So So, uh, in Matthew... 24-8, 24-8, we talked last week about a lot of the signs and things that would, that would uh, alert us to the end times. And so in Matthew 24-8, Jesus calls these things the birth pangs, the indications that the end times are near. Uh, So, yeah, like we said last week, we kind of talked about how we're in this church age. So the past ages all led up to the resurrection of Jesus, the cross of Christ. So we know where we're living right in here, and we know what's coming. We just don't know the exact time or date, uh, as the scripture says. And so the moment uh, that begins the tribulation is when we, when we begin to start uh, kind of figuring out this balance between what's happening and, and the tribulation of different things in the Antichrist. So a lot of people wonder this, is the Antichrist alive today? Do you ever wonder that, Pastor Quint? Uh, I have wondered that, yes. You, I've yeah. been asked that as After well. After you read the bylaws at night, you also wonder yes, if the exactly. Antichrist is alive. Okay, so, um, but it is a good question, and it, it's something that we often think about. And here's the answer, ready? The Antichrist could be alive today, Like, maybe. Uh, We don't know. Uh, But we can't know for sure. He could even be alive and a baby or a child. He has to grow up, just like everyone else. He will be a human. Uh, But the Bible says that his identity will not be revealed until the time is right. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, it says this, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So what this is describing to us is that the power of lawlessness, the power, the, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here, right? That's kind of all the things we talked about last week, the deception, the immorality, all those things that are around us. But the Holy Spirit, he's the one who is holding it back, uh, is restraining it until the time of the the great tribulation is to begin. So it's as if that 
the same kind of evil is around the earth, but when the tribulation happens, it will be all the evil, like the full measure of the evil. And only when the Antichrist is prepared to take leadership will the world know who he is. And since the great tribulation could begin at any time, he could be alive today, we don't know. Uh, while we cannot know who he is, like his name cannot be decoded uh, from the scripture or something, we know details about him. He will be the incarnation of Satan. He will be the great deceiver. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, 2.4, it says, um, it describes him as the one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped as that he, uh, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So not only will he present himself against Christ, but also instead of Christ, like he will want the power and attention that only Christ deserves. And so I would guess, you know, some of the things we talked about last week was there would be a lot of um, uh, things coming against Christians, right? A lot of persecution. Well, that's because the Antichrist is going to say, nobody else gets the worship but me. You know what I mean? And so he will begin to take away those, those privileges. It will be very difficult to worship the Lord the way we are doing right now. Um, and we know that the Antichrist will be a charismatic leader who will sway the masses with his speaking ability. Daniel 7 talks about this. And the world will be captivated by his eloquence. In fact, some people might even be confused. Like, wow, he's speaking peace. He knows what to do. He's bringing, a, he's bringing the nation's help. And uh, we talked about this last week, but the nations will unite in a one world government. We saw that in the scripture and he will be the leader. Now, when all of this happens, it sounds kind of um, you know, disheartening, but I do want to remind us of one thing. Even in the middle of all of this, God will remain in control. Absolutely. God will remain in control. The, the only evil that will be able to go out, God will still be in control. He never uh, loses his control in any of these events that we're seeing. Uh, in Revelation 13, 7, it says the Antichrist will make war with God's holy people, and he will strong, send a strong delusion into the minds of unbelievers to believe the lies of the Antichrist. And so um, only the power that God allows him, but it will be great power. And so let's look at that timeline one more time. Um, so when this begins, when the tribulation begins, which is right here, um, the first three and a half years of the great tribulation will be uh, the labor pangs will increase, right? And we talked about a lot of the things that will happen last week. All that stuff will get worse and worse and worse. And at the midpoint of the great tribulation, uh, the Antichrist will be revealed as a man of sin and will demand to be worshipped. Okay, so even if we think he's a good guy or doing good things for people, at the midpoint, he will demand to be worshipped. And this is actually referred to in the scripture as the abomination of desolation. You'll find this uh, in Daniel, Matthew, Revelation. I want to just show you one verse in Matthew 24. It says, so when you see standing in the holy place, this is the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So that's, he's saying, look, this is the real deal, right? Like this is gonna happen uh, when we see that. And then uh, back to the timeline here, in the final three and a half years of the great tribulation, there will be the hardest, most severe difficulties in the world as we've ever seen. Um, but when that seven years comes to an end, we're going to talk about this next week, uh, in all of his glory, Jesus will come, the great tribulation will end, and there will be victory over sin, death, hell, once and for all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. So, so last, yeah. week, uh, last week, we talked, you know, coming into this conversation, it's, it's a lot of ominous news, a lot of uh, hard conversations and things to talk about. But last week, we talked a lot about peace and how we, as 
God's children need to cling to the peace that passes understanding. The, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and so we need to cling to that. And, and we stand by that this week for sure. Like as we dig into some of this, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, peace, peace, peace is, is the message. Also, though, as we dig into this, one of the things we really want to encourage you to do, and our hope this week as we try to get into a little bit uh, more detail than we did last week with that high-level view, is we really want you to, to have a peaked curiosity and a desire to learn. So my hope, our prayer for you is that this would make you really want to like dig into this and learn about it. We're not up here telling you we have all the answers. We're telling you what we do know, and then let's continue to learn together. So uh, let's do that as we head into this next section. Uh, a great question uh, that I have been asked, and we'll kind of start the conversation with this today, is why would the Lord allow a time of great tribulation? Why would the Lord allow a time of great tribulation? Well, John 3.17 tells us that Jesus came to save the world, and his plan is that no one would be lost, okay? But he will never violate man's free will. It is our decision because true love is never forced, it is voluntarily given, okay? And so God is perfect, and his love is never compromised by his justice, all right? That's really the takeaway here. God is perfect, and his love is never compromised by his justice. So there's a lot of sin and darkness in this world. This is not news. This is something we all know that needs dealt with, all right? Mankind has made such a great mess, and only great judgment will set it right, all right? And so God's judgments are never more harsh than necessary. And honestly, in Revelation 9.20, it really proves this entire point, okay? Revelation 9.20 says this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. So this is further evidence, okay? This is further proof that God's judgment does not contradict his love, but man's heart is so hard that even in the midst of this tribulation that we're talking about, man would not turn, man would not uh, recognize our own sin, okay? So in addition to all of this, the Bible talks a lot about, and Pastor Nicole just mentioned it, how the earth is going to respond, the physical earth is going to respond during the Great Tribulation. So let's go kind of verse by verse through some of these from Revelation 6, and we'll talk about it. Uh, what are some natural disasters that will occur during the Great Tribulation? Well, first, it tells us in Revelation 6, 12, the sun will turn black, the moon will turn red, and great earthquakes will be common, all right? So you might remember when Jesus died on the cross, the earth was darkened. Uh, when Egypt was judged in the Old Testament, there was blackness of night. When the Lord descended at Mount Sinai, the mountain was filled with black clouds. So we see biblical evidence, scriptural evidence for this. And just like in all of those events, darkness will fall at the beginning of this tribulation period. And so we know we're not in that. Some people are like, how do you know what, where we are in the timeline? Well, we know we're not in the Great Tribulation because those things haven't happened, right? right? So we're, at the very least, seven years away from Jesus coming. <laughs> at right. the very, very least, right. you know, because we haven't had these things happen yet. So then the next thing we'd see in Revelation 6, 13, and like I said, we're kind of going through these verse by verse, 12, 13, 14. Verse 13, it says, the stars will fall out of the sky, okay? The stars of heaven fell to the earth. Now, the word star 
that is here is actually in, is the Greek word aster, okay? And it refers to luminous bodies in the sky other than the sun and the moon. So clearly these stars are not the distant stars that we're used to seeing uh, at night, but these are more than likely, this is referring to a cluster of asteroids that will pummel towards the earth. So uh, that is what we see in, in 13. Next, verse 14, it says, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So we know the mountains and the islands will move. When the asteroids strike the earth, it is possible that the earth's crust will be so disturbed by the impact that we start to see things shift. Great segments of it will actually slip and shift and, and things will change right on the earth's mantle. Next would be the ocean will become blood. Jumping over to Revelation 8, 8 and 9, it explains that a great mountain burning with fire will be cast into the sea, all right? The sea will then become blood and one third of all sea life will die. In addition, one third of all ships will be destroyed. If you have ever watched a National Geographic on the ecosystem of the ocean and just how important it is to the existence of our planet, this is bad news. I mean, one third of the sea becoming blood, one third of all sea life dying, the, the ramifications of that would be absolutely catastrophic, all right? And then the pollution of the water, the death of so many of these sea creatures, it's just gonna vastly affect the balance of the ocean life, which is more important than any of us know and that we take for granted every single day. Uh, the next thing, Revelation 8, 10, and 11, it says the water will become poisoned. That stands to reason with everything that we just learned. But it, the third angel, Revelation 8, 10, and 11 says this, the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So the instrument of judgment in this uh, verse that's being spelled out here will be a great star known as Wormwood. Okay, the literal star or meteor hurtling through space will sideswipe the earth, turning one third of the earth's water into a deadly poisonous liquid. Rivers, springs, and wells will all be affected. So with all of this, all of this being spelled out for us, we can see a pretty bleak and unsettling time unfolding before us. Yeah. Um, so let's discuss, um, as we're talking about the Great Tribulation, this idea of rapture, okay, because that kind of often is talked about with the end times. Um, it's also associated with the Great Tribulation. So, Pastor Quint, did you know that the word rapture actually is not in the scripture? I did know that. Well, the question is, did you, you all know that? That I, is the question. I also told them at 9 a.m., so, you know, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, like, at the first service. I knew before You that. knew it before. Okay. All right, we'll believe you. But, okay, rapture comes from the Latin translation of 1 Thessalonians 4.17, uh, which actually translates this word from Greek and then to Latin. Uh, harpazo is, the like, the actual word, and it occurs 14 times in the New Testament. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16-17, where... Uh, rapture. We typically think this is describing the rapture. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up in the air together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so that caught up uh, wording right there, that actually is the word harpazo, which is where we uh, translate it to this word rapture. So it's this term of transformation. It's the catching up of all Christians, dead or alive, to meet Christ in the air. 
Yeah. Another passage that's often mentioned in regards to this conversation on the rapture would be Matthew 24, 38 through 42. Let me read that to you. It says, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding, two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So many people in Noah's day were surprised by this flood of judgment. They thought Noah was crazy. They had never seen rain before in their lives, so that you know he seemed crazy. Um, but in the same manner, many will ignore the signs that Jesus has described to us about the judgment that is coming. If the rapture happens this way, the effect of the removal of millions of people from this planet would be just astounding what that would do to the functionality of society and everything else. So uh, this will certainly get the attention of those who are left if it does happen how this is describing and how we tend to understand the word rapture. Yeah, so the big question around the rapture is, uh, when will it happen, <laughs> right? When, when will the rapture actually happen? Where are the saints and the church uh, during the tribulation? And, and there are four or five interpretations on this topic. Uh, people that um, have read the scripture, and as they read it, they kind of come up with some different theories. Um, I want to talk just briefly about two of the most widely discussed, debated theories that there are. Um, the Bible teachers would say there are is something called pre-tribulation timing and post-tribulation timing. And so let me just show you, I uh, made a little uh, image here for you. The pre-tribulation perspective uh, believes that the rapture will occur prior to the seven-year tribulation. So everything that Quint just talked about, all of that blood in the ocean and uh, the sun turning black and all of those things, we would miss all that, that the rapture would happen, we would go up, uh, left on the earth will be um, unbelievers and the Antichrist and the evil in the world, and we will go to heaven uh, with the Lord. That's the pre-tribulation. Uh, the post-tribulation perspective is that the rapture occurs at the seventh trumpet in Revelation 15, which is at the end of the tribulation. So it'd be right here. Um, there is also some uh, mid-tribulation perspectives that kind of project it will happen somewhere in here, uh, whether that's when um, the Antichrist says, I am the you know, abomination of desolation or somewhere in the middle of, of this happening. And so I just want to look at a couple differences between pre-trib and post-tribulation views and then a little bit of the similarities, okay? So um, the first one is pre-tribute pre-tribulation believers that uh, the saints will be spared of this entire tribulation so that Christians will be able to escape this seven-year nightmare and that God will judge the world and the unbelievers left on the earth and we get to be in heaven. Okay, that's what pre-tribulation uh, rapture, that's a uh, Left Behind series, um, the DC Talk song, you know, that like basically what- Going way back. Uh, yeah. What's happening is, uh, you know, there are people and that maybe in the grocery store and the Christians are all of a sudden gone and other people are looking around what's happening. Okay, that's a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. Now, the um, a post-tribulation interpretation would believe that the tribulation will come and it will be a judgment against the Antichrist and the evil in the world, but the saints will stay on the earth 
post-tribulation thinkers believe uh, that the Lord will protect those committed to him in miraculous ways. Uh, maybe not all always physically, that there might be persecution, uh, but we're always protected spiritually, right? We're, we're going to heaven. Like if you have that, uh, if you trust the Lord in your heart, no matter what, you win the day, right? No matter what happens. Uh, but that persecution that will happen will actually be endured by the saints that, that live on earth. And potentially those saints will be the ones who help others uh, kind of in that final hour, right? Get to heaven and understand and believe. Uh, Pre-tribulation believers, um, the reason why they would say, hey, we believe the rapture is at the very beginning, is they read through Revelation 6 through 19, and they don't see the church referenced, big C, church. Uh, so they think, okay, this must occur before the tribulation happens. But interestingly enough, post-tribulation uh, believers read through it, and they see the church in it. So it, it, you know, it's very difficult to kind of decide. My encouragement to everyone would be, read the books, read the scripture, decide for yourself, see what you see kind of in those particular things. Um, and also, um, you know, I think it's just important for us. God loves that we're curious, right? God loves that we're curious about it. And many in the evangelical church, especially in the West, um, would accept a pre-tribulation rapture. And I do want to say that the common belief of the Assemblies of God is a pre-tribulation rapture. But I do want you to look it up for yourself. Don't just take anybody's word for it because it's important that you look and study and come to those decisions on your own. Um, and let me finish with this. There are more differences. I don't have time to go over all of them today. But there's some really important points of agreement between them also. Like, for example, no matter whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or I don't know, under trib or whatever you are. Um, Jesus is Lord, right? And those, he those who love him are his disciples. And our salvation is totally dependent on the grace of God and of our acceptance of his lordship. And so we have more in common than we have different. Um, so be careful to never make this a point of contention or division between you and another believer. I mean, healthy conversation over a cup of coffee, that's awesome. But Jesus does not want us arguing about this, okay? Because nobody really knows for sure. There are a lot of great people, great teachers that we listed on this paper that will bring you to all kinds of conclusions, but nobody really knows for sure. And in all these views, the redeemed will rule with Jesus in the thousand year millennial reign of Christ as he establishes kingdom on earth. He will defeat forever the kingdom of darkness and prepare a new earth on the eternal dwelling of the father. And no matter where we land as believers in Christ, we should live waiting in anticipation for the coming of Christ. Absolutely. Here's just a thought. In the and we'll get into some of this next week, but in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, we will reign with Christ. So I think, I think uh, it is Christ's chief concern is who are we becoming to be prepared. Let's not argue about the seven years. Let's make sure that we're growing and abiding in him for the thousand years. We'll get into some of that next week, though. So let me do this. As we close today, let me ask you this question, or this is a question that gets asked about this. What is it that will end the great tribulation, okay? The answer to that, you see it on the timeline, is the second coming of Christ will be the thing that ends the great tribulation, all right? At this time, Christ will appear physically. His feet will appropriately touch down on the Mount of Olives where he ascended to heaven. And this is just gonna start off a whole series of events. And so I wanna read to you uh, just an absolutely awesome verse. I've mentioned this um, name for Jesus so many times in leading worship. I don't know about you, I have a favorite name for Jesus. There are many. There are many in Revelation that describe who, who Jesus is, but my favorite name for Jesus is found in Revelation 19, 11, and it says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. 
With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. That is my favorite name for Jesus because it just reminds us that he is everything we're not. He is faithful and he is true. And when we fall short, he never, ever does. So this tells us in Revelation 19, Christ goes forth to claim all of his kingdom. He rides in on a white horse. He's followed by his saints. They are also on white horses. Uh, It will just be a sight of great wonder and majesty as Christ descends with his followers to reclaim that which Satan had temporarily taken But then the ensuing conflict from there, you read about this in Revelation 16, 16, is what's known as the Battle of Armageddon, okay? At the conclusion of that battle, the defeated Satan is bound and cast into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years, according to Revelation 20. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. That is called the millennial reign, when Christ will rule the earth with his saints, and there will be a cleansing of the present earth, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth created. So if you would stand with me, I want to close this way today. I just want to pray and praise and thank Jesus that he is those two things. He is faithful and true. He Those describe him, but that's also just who he is. That is his name. And so Jesus, we come before you as we're talking about this big conversation and maybe this will happen in our lifetime and maybe it won't. But at the end of all of it, what we know and what we rest on and what we just cling to is the fact that you, Jesus, are faithful and true. It is because of that name that we can have peace. It is because of that name that we know you are our Prince of Peace. So as we dig into this and as we study it, we don't choose fear, we choose peace. We choose confidence, we choose you, Jesus, because we see you coming through like you always do. And we thank you for that. And we praise you as your church and we seek you as your church. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll conclude this series next week. Thanks for coming this morning. Thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook and Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.